Welcome to Local Gov Matters, the podcast that talks about the latest issues facing Wisconsin, be it counties, cities, villages, and towns. I'm Michelle Thompson of the Wisconsin Counties Association. And I'm Gail Sumi of the League of Wisconsin Municipalities. In this podcast, we discuss what's happening at the Capitol and in communities around the state. You'll hear from local and state officials, other experts, and advocates. We'll provide the local impact of state legislation and insights into how local government works and how it impacts you. It's the background, the stories, and even some insider-based that will frame the issues and make it worth your listen. So whether you're sitting at your desk, driving in your car, or getting in your steps on the treadmill, we are thrilled you have joined us. Let's get started. Welcome to Local Gov Matters. I'm Gail Sumi of the League of Wisconsin Municipalities. And I'm Michelle Thompson of the Wisconsin Counties Association. Our guest today is Aaron Welty, Downtown Development Program Manager for the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation. Welcome, Aaron. Thanks. Glad to be here. You're an expert on downtown redevelopment. That's I, I quite a <laughs> large topic. It is a large topic, and it, it, it really encompasses a lot. Um, and downtowns are, by definition, central to cities and villages, and it's seen a lot of change over the years from the impact of malls in the 50s to online retail that is having an impact on our downtowns now. But as we will hear from Aaron, decline is not inevitable. Certainly not. That I hope not, because we're all counting on the fact that it's not, right? Absolutely. Welcome, Aaron. You work with the Wisconsin Main Street program in communities across our state. Tell us a little bit more about your work. Sure. I, I tell people my job is to work with only cute communities and to work with <laughs> business owners and property owners. So I work with coffee shops and bars and restaurants and gift shops all, all around the state. And I can give you a whole tour of gift shops and specialty stores that are lovely. That's so if, excellent. A, if a community is looking to redevelop their downtown, where does that process start? I mean, it has to start locally. It's a very grassroots thing. You can't, uh, we work with communities certainly where the local government is trying to lead the charge, but we also work with merchants groups that are informal of business owners saying, hey, you know, guys, we need to do something because these are our livelihoods and we need to step up. Uh, we work with local civics groups that say, you know, we're going to start a, uh, by local. We want our downtown to thrive. We want our children to have something to come back to. Um, so it's really anybody, but it's local. I mean, it's driven by what they want to see for their community. Do you see common threads throughout or is it basically each community is different and each each sort of recipe is different? Every every recipe is very different. Everybody has their cast of characters, their political climate, their local, you know, uh, preferences. So what they want to see is different, but how they get there, lots of the steps are the same. When we talked about this conversation a while back, you mentioned the four points of Main Street, and it's described on the Main Street website as a practical, adaptable framework for downtown transformation that is easily tailored to local conditions. That That's a mouthful. <laughs> We're interested. Tell us more. What does that mean? Yeah, the four points of Main Street just um, so the Main Street program started back in the 80s as a response to the mall closing or the, the malls that you talked about. And so it's really a look at the, the holistic practice. So there's communities certainly that will say, well, if we just develop a, a convention center in downtown, right. then everyone will come and things will be beautiful. Or what it's if like magic? It's magic. Or if we just, you know, we'll make all the buildings look good. We'll paint them all and give them new awnings and then everything will be lovely. People will come. Um, but if you're not, you know, also supporting your small businesses, if you're not supporting the, the properties and the rehabilitation, 
information. If you're not programming, you have to be doing all of the things because it's not a one, one trick pony. I mean, downtowns are very complicated. Economies are very complicated. And downtown development is really, you're building a little economy. And so you have to yeah. do all of the things. Um, it's not, you know, we'll do this and then everything, paint, magic wand, things are happy and, and copacetic. And it's never done. I mean, everything, there's constantly new threats. You kind of identified some of those. So we're always looking at where are things evolving? What can we do next? That was sort of my next question was timeline. What does something like this look like as far as you know, from start to finish, or maybe there never is a finish. Oh, no, never finish. Um, we have programs that have been, our program started here in Wisconsin in 88, so we have three of our five original programs are still with us, so they are still doing stuff, and they're great rock stars. I mean, so if you look at Beloit, if you look at Ripon, if you look at Viroqua, like, they've been at this for a long time, and they're, you know, still continuing. I mean, the Snappers news from Beloit just came out not so long ago. What was the Snappers news? They're building a new stadium downtown. Oh, yeah, I oh, heard nice. about that. Yeah, that's excellent. Um, so, again, and not just a stadium. They've also, you know, done tons of other things. Um, so it's never done. But we also do talk to our communities that when they're starting in the program. So we also have the Connect Communities program where we onboard a lot of folks who are just kind of just getting started in the program. And we tell them, you know, it is going to take a while. You're not going to, next year is not going to be when you see you know, lots of new businesses moving in. So we have a little um, graphic. We get reports from all of our communities in terms of what they're doing, what the impacts are, what the outcomes are, how they're, they're thriving. And we can definitely see that after a year, you know, you get some leverage, you get some more volunteers, you get a little more investment, but it's really after five years when you start to see, okay, people are like, this is real. This isn't one of those things where we tried and it didn't work. Like they're actually doing things and you get more people on board. You get businesses opening businesses, you get property owners deciding to reinvest. So it, it takes some time to, to build the, the competence and the trust. Do you think changes in the way people are spending their time, spending their money, be it, you know, bricks and mortar online, looking for more experiences versus, you know, leaving Wisconsin, but staying just right in their communities. Do you think that has a big impact on, on your work? It definitely does. And we're always telling people that, you know, you're not competing with the, the town down the street anymore like you are when you're looking to recruit employers. Right. You're competing with a couch and with Netflix. Like, you want people to get out of Netflix. the house. <laughs> <laughs> you're just trying to say, hey, you know, Gail, this is a great opportunity to come and go to this great event. You can't do this at home on your couch like you can everything else in life these days. You can, you can shop online, but if you make that experience so much greater, that's what you're competing with. So let's dig down a little bit. Let's say you're somebody in a community that hasn't started this process yet. You mentioned Connect Communities. Can you take us through that process? Maybe give us an example? Sure. So uh, our Connect Communities program is, is designed to be pretty easy to, and approachable. Um, you, We offer communities two application cycles per year. And all you have to do is tell us why you want to be in the program. What are your goals for your downtown? What are your issues? What are your struggles? And you have to have five people. You have to identify five people people that are going to be part of this group that are going to help move things forward. And it doesn't matter who they are. They don't have to be. It doesn't matter who they are. It's it's best if they are lots of different people. So we have lots of communities where you get some chamber folks and some city council folks and, you know, a business owner or two. It's a public-private partnership for sure. And then you join and you're able to attend any of the stuff that we put on. We do put on workshops and webinars and discussion calls. You get access to our whole database of white papers and resources and best practices and pictures and inspiration of, of all kinds into our chat group where people can talk to each other um, and say, hey, we have a downtown clock that we're trying to repair or, hey, we're trying to do re- revamp our, house, our ordinance to allow people to have live workspaces. What does that look like? Um, and just network because there is no problem that someone else is having that someone else has not already done at some point in the past. Do you find that there's 
sometimes one big ticket item that can turn the whole project, like a clock tower or an event. I know um, in Racine, my mother-in-law lives in Racine, and they do a first Friday event where in the evenings it's there's music and there's it all brings it together. Is there like that one thing, or is it a whole lot of things? There usually is at least one thing where once you cross that, everyone's like, oh my gosh, we finally arrived. However, it's risky to, it's almost always a problem property, right? It's like, uh, it's that white elephant property. Right. Um, so it's hard to make, pin your hopes on that because usually you have zero control over what that one random property owner does. Um, so that's kind of like the goal of the project, but usually there's lots of other things that, you know, build up to actually accomplishing that while you're negotiating and finding the grandma who played bingo with the guy's mother to get control (laughs) of the property. (laughs) What kinds of things have you seen make a difference that are really transformational for communities? And we're not looking for a list of, you know, if you do this, like we talked about earlier, the magic wand, but what are some things that like Viroqua has done or Ripon has done? Uh, well, when it's a little bit, when you're getting started, it's most important to do something that's visible. So okay. people have to see that something is happening because sure. negotiating with property owners or working to support your local businesses is really important, but no one really sees that that's happening. It's so behind the scenes, you know, that's where we get a lot of things like pop-up shops or like mural programs or uh, things where you can see that something has happened and that somebody is doing something. And it's even better if you can get people involved. So if you have a mural program where people are involved or, you know, a street banner contest where kids are entering draw. You're, you're getting the community involved and they can see that what they did is now visible in their downtown and that they have the ability to, to influence it, empowering people. Yeah, that's important. cool. It is amazing how one particular project can really, I know I live near Monona in, on the east side of Madison here, and they did a mural, a pop-up thing for one day last last summer and it is street artists and the sides of buildings are, it's spectacular. And you, every time you drive through there, you're reminded of sort of this engagement feeling that a lot of people were involved to make the community brighter. Right, right. It takes a lot of work, obviously, to do all this. And it sounds like um, it really needs to be community engagement and volunteers. Tell us more about that process. Yeah, and that's kind of, it's sometimes the hardest part, especially when we have uh, initiatives that are led by governments, because they don't always have a mechanism to make that happen, to get communities involved. They have, you know, formal committees and you have to be appointed. It seems too Um, formal almost. It's very much too formal. So there are a few examples of places where they've said, okay, we want to empower people. So uh, Lacrosse is doing a really good job of kind of fostering neighborhood organizations in places where there haven't been them. Um, So they're forming a downtown neighborhood organization. And they also have a policy where a certain amount of funds every year can get uh, applied for by these organizations because they want these groups to be thinking of what are our priorities. Um, So that's one. City funds are available to... Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's That's a certain great. amount of dollars that they say, okay, neighborhood organizations, you put in your ideas and we'll give a certain amount of money out for what you want to do in your own neighborhood. So it's downtown or it's your your local neighborhood. So Erin, you had talked about public-private partnerships. I think that is just a fascinating topic always because it brings together sometimes different groups, things, but with the common goal of making an area better. Can you talk about just how does that work with the people that you're involved with, I'm I'm guessing it's the foundation of every successful project, obviously, but just talk a little bit more about that. Sure. I mean, kind of the 
the nuts and bolts where uh, we see it in almost every community is facade programs. Um, everybody wants their downtown buildings to be preserved. They're really usually a high, one of the highest tax base areas for a community, so it is a good investment. But you have all these properties that have maybe had deferred maintenance for 30 years or 100 years. Um, and so when you look at the cost to get those up and have the stores in that we really want, you know, you have your average business that starts with $5,000. They can't afford to also fix this, the awning and the sign and the windows. I mean, that's just not within what they're looking for. Um, so we did a study a couple of years ago of facade improvement programs and what the impact they had on the businesses. Um, and we found that it was tremendous that any business who spent any amount of money in a strategic way on that outside of their business had both increased sales and increased customers. But two thirds of the projects that we profiled were done in conjunction with a local revolving loan or grant program that it took that public source of funds, low cost funds to catalyze the bigger project that they couldn't have done it on their own. I was just talking to Gail um, before we started recording here that the place I got married in Fond du Lac, um, the Rutlaw Hotel is, you know, back in the day was this gorgeous place. It's this tremendous history and to see it now revitalized and open up, it's absolutely stunning and is, I think, going back to my hometown of Fond du Lac and seeing the impact on that downtown is amazing. We were having our awards there in April. Oh, nice. Excellent. Beautiful, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to take a break here, and when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Aaron about downtown redevelopment, what it takes to be successful. Since 1935, the Wisconsin Counties Association has represented the interests of Wisconsin's 72 counties at both the state and federal level. Counties keep our roads safe, protect our citizens, maintain our parks, and perform countless other functions that make Wisconsin such a great place to live and work. As state and local governments evolve to meet the changing and diverse needs of our citizens, counties will continue to play a prominent role. Learn more at wicounties.org. Our guest today is Aaron Welty, Downtown Development Program Manager for the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation. So one of the trends that um, I think people are, are focused on right now, it, it's not a magic wand, but it is a trend, are pop-up shops. How does that work? Sure. It's, they are very trendy. We've had a lot of communities use them, partly because they are, like we talked about, really visible. People see them. They also harness that fear of missing out, that if you don't come while they're open, they go away. Finite time. Right. Yes. So that's very exciting. Um, but they work, too. We've had a lot of communities. So I think Viroqua has been doing um, pop-up shops. I think they're in their fourth year now. And they have a really great success record of, I think, 75% have gone on to either open a shop or collaborate with another business owner to have a permanent uh, retail storefront. So generally how it works is um, you find some empty spaces. Most places have them if they have a downtown. Um, sometimes you get a little allocation of money to you know, fix the carpet or, you know, remove the shag carpet or the uh, paneling right, or something right. like that. Um, sometimes they turn artists loose in them to do something similar at a low cost. So the property owner wins because there's some improvements. Also, you get people in the door so they see that the space is not just that empty space that used to be the footlocker or whatever. Right. Um, and then you do applications for entrepreneurs. Maybe they're currently home-based businesses. Maybe they're selling at craft sales. Maybe they're farmer's market vendors. And they've always wanted to try having a, a permanent storefront because that's really 
you know, lots of retailers, that's their dream, right, is to have a storefront, a shop. Um, and you take the top contenders that, that are a good fit for the spaces that you have. So there's an application process generally? Application process. And sometimes they connect the ones together. So Marshfield had a large space and put four complementary businesses in one space, kind of uh-huh. like a little mini mall. Um, so depending on your spaces. And then they're open for, usually it's the holiday period, so maybe Thanksgiving right. to Christmas, so peak retail, but sometimes in the summer if you're a tourist economy. So they get to test out the market and find out what works, what doesn't, before they really have to invest in you know, the bricks and mortar and the hoods and the vents and the inventory and all of that stuff. It's a little, it's less risky and, and more kind of test the waters and see what works before you have to jump in. And those are typically local decisions on what shops are going in there mm-hmm. yep. and whatever that entity might be a downtown business organization or... Sometimes the landlords have a you know right to veto somebody if they don't like it, but usually there's a committee of bankers and entrepreneur advocates that kind of judge the applicants based on their likelihood to succeed, basically. Do they need to be ADA accessible? Are there those kinds of issues to the buildings? Well, you're looking at existing storefronts. So ADA, well, there's certainly goals for every property. You're really not um, dealing with it unless you're making significant improvements because that's when you have to. Uh, okay. um, So these are mostly empty spaces that you're just kind of temporarily occupying. And there are even some communities that have created special zoning codes that are for temporary uses. So Racine is one Uh, that we talked about earlier. They definitely have a temporary occupancy. So you don't have to make all the improvements that might be necessary to bring it up to code if you're only going to be there for a short time. And that helps new businesses too because they can come in and not have to spend $10,000 before they find right. out if it's really going to work. It's really expensive. Nora um, Ruffenschmidt, I think her last Rowan name. Schmidt, Rowan Schmidt, yes. Schmidt, thank you. In Viroqua, with the downtown uh, organization in Viroqua, did an uh, article for our magazine a while back on pop-up shops. And I, I know she's also consulting. I, I think Sheboygan was successful in part because of some of the advice that she gave them. Yeah, she has, uh, like I said, they were one of the tr- early early adopters. Sheboygan was actually very successful too. One of their tea shops that opened as their pop-up actually got a Kiva matching loan through us, um, and so they're going to become permanent with that. Wow. So. What kinds of other funding is available for that, um, that kind of activity or just in general? Uh, so LISC in Milwaukee is providing some funds, uh, and this, they're partnering with the city in that community. So the city is providing funds to property owners of really uh, long-term vacant properties that are problems, and LISC is providing some funds to the entrepreneurs, so together they can get some of these properties ready for occupancy. If the pop-up doesn't take the space, then it's a little, everybody's farther ahead. Um, is that an acronym, LISC? Uh Local Initiative Support Corporation, okay. I believe it is. Uh, <laughs> we, every, uh, LISC is what right. I... We love a good uh, acronym right, here we, at Local Gov Matters. That, right. <laughs> yes. There are so many. Uh, so, there's not a lot of funding, though. I mean, it is that, that's partly why this is such a great program, because it is, is non-funding, but it, help, it really can move the needle for those entrepreneurs. So, Erin, you had mentioned fighting the couch, fighting Netflix, online shopping. How have behaviors changed how communities are thriving and growing and how you're doing your job. We're seeing a lot more investment in public spaces and public amenities. You want uh, people to get more people, like we people are social creatures. So if you have, um, you, you get your patio cafes and your parklets and uh, plazas, like what Marshfield did with the Wenzel Family Plaza, gathering spaces are you know kind of important for bringing both businesses in, or even what you have in Madison, where you have um, business operations taking place in the parks now to sell beer, to sell coffee, or mm-hmm. um, like Racine has the pop up ice skating rink. So just things to bring people 
people uh, and gather them together and, and make it visible. Because when you see other people hanging out and having fun, then you're much more likely to, to do the same and think that this is something that we do here. The events are also big, obviously, the festivals, et cetera. I mean, events have always been big. Um, you know, everybody's got their signature festival, but more things like the First Friday concert series, ongoing things where you can count on that if I go out on Thursday, there's other people there having fun that I can join in. Even small communities are able to do that. It, it's, it's really pretty amazing, especially given the capacity of that community, the volunteers and, and the engagement. Yeah, I mean, it's something that anybody can do. If you're a business owner and you have um, a yoga class, so Depeer has yoga in the park on Fridays led by a local yoga instructor. Uh, they have 500 people that show up oh to all goodness. do yoga oh, and it amazing. dovetails with their farmer's market so you can have dinner afterwards. Um, yeah, things can really grow and catalyze just from one person to saying, hey, we want to, you know, be out there doing this. That seems like something I would do with my girlfriends and then we'd go have wine afterwards. Right. I'm <laughs> certain that there's a lot of that happening. <laughs> beforehand is good I think May- Mayville <laughs> makes you more limber. <laughs> so if you look at the De Pere pictures, they're, they're very yoga people uh, with very yoga outfits. But then Mayville also has yoga and mimosas. And uh, I like That's to use great. their pictures because it's much more approachable. These are people in their sweatpants, you know, yogaing before their mimosas. Next so. stop, Mayville. <laughs> a little bit about how government can make a difference. There's county economic development staff, there's city and village staff. What can they do to make a difference? On the local level, I mean, we don't have a ton of counties that are really involved. I mean, other other than being generally supportive, I mean, obviously, if your county offices are downtown, they're able to to have events and, and support things. Um, but at the local level, just making it possible. So making yourself a community of yes and finding a way to say yes if instead of no, we tried that or no, we can't do that or no, that's against whatever code. The people who are willing to say, okay, how do we make this happen? Because this is something that we see as a benefit is, is really the, the ultimate key if you can be that community. Are you finding that that's more and more true? across the state? In some places, yes. And okay. in other places, it's a much tougher sell. It's funny. So we talked about parklets. And I would say that we have 50% of our communities where the city is like, this is an amazing thing and we want more of it because we see that it helps the business. It helps our social dynamic. It helps you know everything. And then we have other communities that are like, I don't know, it might not be ADA. We're losing a parking spot. That's revenue. Those $50, right. you know, what are we going to do with that? It, it's really, yeah, there's, there's two mindsets and um, they're, they're very different sometimes. So Erin, what are some of your favorite success stories? I know you've talked about Viroco, we've talked about Fond du Lac, Racine. What are some, some specifics, some places that are, are really doing things right and working together. In terms of working together, I always use Beloit, partly because they have been working together for 30 years. They have a quarterly meeting of the Beloit Visioning Group, and it's the superintendent of schools, the CVB, the city administrator, the downtown group, the regional economic development group, and some local CEOs. They get together quarterly, and they have their own plan for the community, and they have been executing on that plan for a long time. So things like the footbridge across the river, or things like the new Snapper Stadium, or investments like the farmer's market gantry. These are things where they said, these are things that will move our community together. What role can we all play in making this happen? So they're doing housing development. They're doing partnerships with the college. I mean, so they've been doing it together for a long time. Also, Beloit, people don't, they're like, really? Beloit? It's amazing. If you go downtown, Great town. 
they have some amazing things. They have the the community supported hotel. So they this group said we need a hotel in downtown. No hotel developers were going to come to Boyd at that time. So they sold condominium units to the college to private investors, and that was how they financed the hotel. And ten years later, they bought all the units out, and now it just runs as a regular hotel. But they were said that this is what we need. This is what we see as the community's future. This is how we can make it happen ourselves if no one else is going to come in and do that. It's those kinds of stories, both big and small. That's what it takes is us saying, this is what we want. How can we make this happen for ourselves? I was in Wausau a couple weekends ago taking my son and seven of his 16-year-old friends skiing. So we dropped them uh-huh. off. <laughs> Best mom of the year. Yes. We dropped them off. And then we went to downtown Wausau, my friends and I. And we had there's this great town square. And there was an ice skating rink there. And bars and restaurants and shops all around. And we we just spent the entire day downtown there. Where you think back in the day, you'd be like, was there a mall here? You know, is there a Target? I feel like the conversation's been so much more elevated. To see communities like that, it's just so amazing. I agree. Well, you bring up Wausau, but that's another example. So they have a failing mall in downtown uh, and it was owned by failing mall owner after failing mall owner and the three major foundations in town said we don't want our future to be owned by someone who's just milking every penny out and taking it away from the community they made an offer and purchased that mall and are pursuing redevelopment plans themselves as the community foundation group that's the kind of local investment that's that's key and the city's obviously at the table to to participate that's excellent so people who've listened to this podcast and are now completely inspired to go and redevelop their downtown Um, what resources are available to them? Do they start online? Can they give somebody a call? Oh, certainly they can give somebody a call. I mean, we have... 74 Connect communities and 34 Main Streets, and they're all around the state. I mean, we have communities from 700 people up to neighborhoods in Milwaukee, so there's somebody who's a corollary to your community, for sure. You can go to the WDC website and either look up Main Street or Connect communities, and we have a list of all the contacts for each one of those. So if you see somebody that inspires you, that you've always wanted to wonder how that community did it or how how you could get like that, um, there's contacts out there, and then they're welcome to contact us. We have regional staff and all everywhere in the state that can also put them in touch with programs that might help get them started, whether it's Connect Communities or the University of Wisconsin Extension First Impressions program that might give you a a place where to start or the placemaking team out of UW-Stout. There's a lot of kind of things you can try to just kind of get the ball rolling and jumpstart activities. So how can government make a difference? I mean, they can support all of these things and, you know, lots of the stuff that comes out of those programs will result in a downtown plan. Obviously, if you're looking for funding, most of the things require that it's in a plan that you're not just applying for funds to get the funds. So um, if you see something that's in your community that people are behind, you know, coming up with a plan and adopting that and the you know, obviously the ordinances and the zoning that would help make that happen. If you have some funds to support things like pop-up shops or public plazas or parklets, I mean, funds are always helpful too. Facade grants. Facade grants are important. Jerry tells the story. I can't remember what community it was, but it was a very small community in southern Wisconsin. He went to visit the new village president. And uh, the story was that the village president ran for office because there was a broken window in one of the downtown businesses. And it just bugged him. And nobody did anything about it. So he said, okay, I'm going to run for office. We'll do something about it. And they started a facade grant program, I think with like $500 or $1,000. They're now up to $2,000. And uh, they used to have, I think, one or two occupied stores fronts in their downtown and now all but one or two are occupied Mm -hmm. so it's just made a big difference it does and leading by example matters too so i I do meet with a lot of those council people that have well these buildings look terrible and then like well here's a building that this village owns or the city owns 
it's downtown. Let's make an example of investing in this property or keeping our library downtown. And then we can demonstrate that this is somewhere that the village feels important to invest. And then other property owners can take a page off that book. Is something like the Garver Feed Mill, is that something that you're involved with? Or is that... They got a CDI grant from us. And then maybe even a Brownfields grant. I'm not sure. But yeah, they, they did okay. use one of our redevelopment funds to make that happen. Uh, we do have some funds for catalytic larger projects. We have the Community Development Investment Grant, CDI grant, that provides two hundred fifty thousand or twenty five percent. So we had um, it can be things like the Gardner Feed Mill, but it's also a coffee shop in Burlington. It's also um, you know a co op expansion in Menominee. Um, those kinds of things utilize that program. Things that are going to be big reinvestments in downtown. It is amazing when you see those things turn around, and you know the Garver Feed Mill over my neck of the woods. That was a crumbling building. It was. It that was, ugly. was condemned, and there was spray paint, and it was a scary place. I think teenagers went at night, <laughs> and now it's this family gathering, community gathering place, and investing back into our communities is such an important thing to do for our state. We do some things together, the league and WEDC. There's the small community forums. We're going to have four small community forums this year again. Uh, so we go to small communities and we bring people in and we have speakers and case studies and, and it's a really good four forums for people to share their ideas and their successes and, and talk about their opportunities and really forge new relationships. We were in Krivitz this past year and the um, neighboring cities and villages had not really talked to each other and sat down at the same table. And as a result of the forum, they're now talking to each other. So those things can also be a, a catalyst. And then Rural Partners. Do you want to talk about Rural Partners a little bit? Sure. So Rural Partners is an organization that's dedicated to fostering networks between rural communities and stakeholders. So we have a summit every year. We're also a partner in the forums. But You're in Marshfield this year, is that Marshfield right? Marshfield this okay. year in April, yep. Uh, the first day is a tour of the area in terms of success stories. So it might be cool businesses that you didn't know existed or partnerships like I'm sure the Wenzel Family Plaza will factor somehow into the programming because um, that was a public-private partnership between the CVB, the city, uh, the chamber, and Main Street to fund that and not only create the plaza but to also fund a staff person to program it because they recognize wow. that if you have a plaza but nothing's happening that's not and somebody has to do it you know it right. doesn't just magically appear out of thin right. air so then, then the second day is, is workshops so Erin is there anything else we missed here? I don't think so I could talk about downtowns all day there's all kinds <laughs> of yeah, great we love that I guess this concludes our, our Local Gov Matters 2.0 podcast. Erin, thanks so much for your time today, our downtown redevelopment expert. We encourage our listeners to check the podcast description, our show notes, for links to the resources that Erin has mentioned here today and background on the Main Street program. You can find Local Gov Matters on your favorite podcast app, from iTunes to Podbean to Stitcher. You can also link to the podcast from the WCA and League homepages. Thanks to our community radio partners who broadcast the podcast on their radio stations, Oshkosh, Rice Lake, Wapaka, and Sun Prairie. As always, we encourage you to contact us with ideas for podcast topics. We'll see you next time on Local, Local Gov, Gov Matters. Matters.